Well, I'd like to welcome all of you to IMS and to the three-month retreat. My name is Joseph. This is this is the informal opening. Just uh, as you come, you know, from your travel day and settle in, and we have a couple of orientation days. The formal opening of the retreat, when we go into silence, uh, will be on Sunday evening when we'll take the refuges and the precepts. And at that time also we'll introduce my colleagues, the whole teaching team. So tonight I thought I would just speak a little bit about various things as a way of setting the context. You know, for this quite amazing journey you're about to embark upon. This is the 30th three-month retreat and the 29th in this very hall. You know, we, we taught the very first one in 1975 in Bucksport, Maine, in a rented facility. And it's quite amazing. In 30 years, you know, of people coming together like a Dharma family of practitioners, you know, coming together to practice. And even for people who may never have met before, because many of you do know one another from your yogi careers, but even for those who have not, you know, met before, I think still there's this very strong feeling of connection that unspoken Dharma connection that really brings us all to practice. So just think of 30 years of meditative vibes right in this hall, and that's the space you're entering into. And I think you'll find, if you haven't found already, you'll find as you start sitting here, it becomes very palpable. You know, the energy that's been created by all the yogis for all those sitting hours. Coming together for the three-month course given the rather crazy world we live in is the creation of a refuge Really a creation of a place, a place of safety, where people come together who share the highest values, the highest values of awakening, of freedom, of compassionate action. The work we do here together the work you'll be engaged in for the next six weeks or three months is really untangling, disentangling all those forces in the mind which cause suffering for ourselves and cause suffering in the world. When we look at what's going on in the world now, it's all the manifestation of people's minds. And quite shockingly, it's the manifestation of our own minds. 
You know, and over this next period of time, we will get a very good look at the forces of greed and hatred and fear and delusion and ignorance, which are the cause of suffering, you know, both personally and individually and communally. In one Dharma text, the question is raised, how can we disentangle the tangle? Well, that's our work over these next months. It's learning to disentangle the tangle. I like to think of Dharma practice as being the master game of life. Why? Because it looks at the very nature of life itself. So it's not just playing out the various interests that we might have in the world or obsessions or plans, but rather it's a stepping back, asking some very fundamental questions. What is the nature of life? What is the nature of this mind? What is the nature of the body? What is awareness? What is consciousness? Now, these are questions that in the busyness of our lives are not often asked. So this is a tremendously precious time, an opportunity to look at some very fundamental issues. And I find it amazing that so many of us, for so many years, have come together to do this. We can undertake this journey of discovery, of understanding, with a great deal of self-respect. Because as you know, it's not easy to arrange one's life to do this. I mean, all of you, in coming here, it's a tremendous commitment. First, just somehow arranging your life to have the time. Not an easy task to have the interest, to have the resources, to gather the support from your family and friends. So it's a very big commitment. And it's not as if you did all this to take a vacation. This is not a holiday on the beach. And probably many of you have had the experience just as you're getting ready to come, you know, and maybe friends or family who are not connected to the practice, kind of looking at you with a certain, hopefully supportive curiosity, <laughs> but, but really, you know, like, what in the world are you doing? You know, you're coming to this place, you're not going to stay in silence for six weeks or three months, all you do is sit and walk, sit and walk, sit and walk, <laughs> you know, some simple food. I think reflecting, this is not an ordinary thing to do. And it reflects the depth of all of our paramis. You know, that's the Pali word for the, for the developed wholesome forces in our minds, the perfections. 
know, so it's all the wholesome forces over so many years, perhaps so many lifetimes, which has created the interest and the opportunity and the possibility to come together to do this work. So as you enter in to the retreat, I think it's worth reflecting on that with that sense of tremendous respect for oneself. Now it can give a kind of pride, not an ego pride, but a kind of noble pride you know, in what we've done that brought us here, that allowed us to be here. And not only can we begin this practice with this deep self-respect, but I think it's also worth, especially in these next two days, you know, of looking around and connecting with people, so that we enter into the retreat with a great respect for each other. That's a beautiful way to join together. As most of you know, know, most of you are experienced practitioners, so you know quite well that it's not always easy. The path of practice has many, many ups and downs. There are very strong habits in the mind, strongly conditioned habits of judging and comparing and hope and fear, you know, and wanting and aversion and just all those forces we're so familiar with. It takes a very strong commitment within us. It takes a certain kind of passion. It takes a certain kind of fire within us to really stay awake, to stay aware, to stay mindful through it all through all of these cycles. Now, sometimes your experience will be very pleasant. There can be wonderful meditative states that arise, of peace, of calm, of stillness. Sometimes there are experiences of calm or peace or understanding that we've never had before in our lives. It's opening to deeper states of happiness. That's what happens sometimes. And at other times, it can be quite unpleasant. You know, and there's restlessness, and there's boredom, and there's agitation, and there's sleepiness, and there's pain in the body, and just all of the different kinds of hindrances. It's so important and we'll be reminding you again and again throughout the retreat to understand that it's all part of the practice. It's all part of this Dharma journey. I have never met, in 30 years of teaching, I have never met a single yogi who only had pleasant experience. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. So it's all part of the journey. Can we open to that? Can we understand that? 
and not get into a struggle with it, not get into a fight with it. The quality of mind that for me has been a tremendous support in all my years of practice through all the ups and downs, you know, of hard times and easy times, the quality of mind that has been a tremendous support is the quality of interest. It's that deep willingness a deep passion to understand ourselves, to understand our own hearts, our own minds. A poem which I've read a lot over the years, the Japanese woman, uh, poet Izumi, and she wrote, The moon at dawn, solitary mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. And that, for me, so expresses the quality of meditative awareness. No part left out. We want to look at it all. We want to look at the bright side of the mind. We want to look and understand the shadow side. So can we practice? Can you enter into the retreat? with the aspiration and intention, whatever arises, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, let me see it. Let me understand it. Let me experience it. For so many years, earlier on in my practice, I would get into this struggle and fight with the difficulties you know, when sleepiness came, or boredom came, I would think, ah, I'm such a bad yogi. Or when I saw desire, or fear, or ill will, or judgment, then I would take it a step further, oh, I'm such a bad person. You know, I have all these horrible things going on in my mind. And it took, it took a while to get past that kind of self-judgment in seeing the difficulties. And to come to that place of appreciating the fact that I was seeing them. That was a big turning point. And now, not always, but often, most of the time I would say, when I see a defilement in my mind, it actually brings a kind of joy because I'm so glad to see it. I would much rather see it than not see it. You know, it's oh, Good. <laughs> There's whatever. So that's this quality of interest and investigation and joy in understanding. The whole range, the whole picture. Over these weeks, at different times, you know, we'll be speaking about the great effort that is needed, even the heroic effort that's needed to awaken from the dreamlike state of our ignorance. The delusion and ignorance in the mind is so deep 
And the Buddha talked of ignorance as being the root cause of samsara, of this whole cycle of birth and death and rebirth. So these are powerful forces conditioned in our own minds. So it does take a great effort to awaken out of that ignorance, out of that delusion. And we'll be talking about how to apply that effort in skillful ways. But there's also another way of understanding. This exploration. And I think right from the beginning, if you can hold it in your mind, in your heart, it will help as you go through the retreat. And that is, it's not only a question of this great heroic effort, but another way of understanding is that our practice is really one of a deep surrender, of an opening to. Sometimes, you know, effort, especially the Western psychology, sometimes we get so caught up in unskillful aspects of it, of expectation or ambitious striving, it's very helpful to understand that the practice is also a surrender, an opening, a simple opening to just what is present. It's not a reaching out for something, it's a letting go. At one point in my practice, this is uh, when I was uh, practicing in India, quite a few years ago. I would start each sitting with a simple recollection, which I would say in my mind, I surrender to the Dharma. Whatever happens, whatever happens in the sitting, I'll just see it, I'll just be with it. And that recollection really helped me be with the ups and downs, because it reminded me to surrender rather than to struggle. As we open to the unfolding process, as we surrender to it, we also learn to trust it. And when we, when we learn to trust it, to trust the process as it's unfolding, that gives a tremendous sense of confidence to us. So summing up both sides, you know, the effort and the surrender, one Burmese monk, quite uncharacteristically, most of the monks that I've practiced with, but he put it very well, I thought he said, work hard and have fun. And we want both sides. It's like, this this is a great, enlightening endeavor. In a very fundamental way, we're lightening our minds, lightening our hearts. So work hard and have fun. There are two attitudes of mind which support and feed and nurture our commitment to awakening. I just want to touch on them briefly because we'll be talking much more about them during the retreat. But tonight is 
I just wanted to plant some seeds, you know, which will be watered over the next weeks. The first attitude which will be so helpful to you, if you can remember to cultivate it, is the attitude of patience. Understanding that it is completely natural and inevitable to go through many swings and cycles. It is what's going to happen. As I mentioned, sometimes you'll feel wonderful and great and happy and concentrated, and at other times you'll just be lost in the hindrances. You know, and it'll be difficult, and then it'll cycle again and again and again, countless times. Sometimes you'll be really interested and engaged, and other times you'll be depressed and discouraged. Know that this will happen. It's not a mistake. It's just part of the path. The Buddha spoke often of the power of patience. In one, in one sutta he said, patience leads to nibbana. Patience leads to enlightenment. Because patience gives us just that sense of constancy. Okay, whatever it is, just let me be with it. There's a, there's a wonderful story. When I first began teaching, when I came back from India in 1974, it was at the Summer Institute, Naropa Institute. It was their first summer session. And it was like the Woodstock of Eastern practice. So that first summer in Boulder, uh, a couple of thousand people came from all over the country. And Trungpa Rinpoche, the great Tibetan teacher, was one of the stars, and Ramdas, you know, who studied with Hindu masters in India, was the other. So they had these huge classes, like most of the people who came, several thousand, on alternate nights. They'd hear Trungpa and then Ramdas, and Trungpa was giving the very straight Buddhist teachings, you know, of suffering and the Four Noble Truths and the way out of suffering and being realistic and facing things as they are. And Ramdas was giving teachings on the Bhagavad Gita. And it was just full of, you know, devotion and light and love, and suffering, suffering, face it, light and love, you know, so back and forth, alternate nights. So finally somebody in one of the question periods asked Trungpa Rinpoche, well, in Buddhism, in the Buddhist teachings, is there anything that's comparable, you know, to the Hindu or, or Christian notion of grace? Now, where does grace fit into the Buddhist picture. And Trungpa thought a moment, and then with his characteristic clarity and brilliance, he said, yes, there is this notion of grace in Buddhism. In Buddhism, patience is grace. And I found it so beautiful because what he did was really unpack the experience of grace. It wasn't a kind of, this was not a metaphysical explanation how does grace happen? How does a moment of intuitive opening happen? It happens when we're patient. When we can settle back into the moment, 
be open, and then the whole world, the whole nature of our mind, reveals itself. So keep that in mind as you go through the ups and downs and the hard times and the easy times. Patience is grace. The second great support in practice is the basic attitude of metta, you know, the Pali word for loving kindness. It's a friendliness, a kindliness to ourselves, to others. There's a line from an old samurai poem, which, again, I, I often mention, because it sums up the gift of metta. This one line from the poem says, I make my mind my friend. If we did nothing else this whole retreat but make our minds our friend, that would be a great accomplishment. So that's what we do. We want to bring this quality of metta, of friendliness, of kindliness, of gentleness, both to ourselves, to our own experience, and to our fellow yogis. So this year we're going to do something a little different when we begin the retreat. This is an experimental year. And that is, we thought to begin the retreat with first three days of just doing metta practice as a way of just in a very gentle, and we're going to do it in a very expansive way, not in the, not in the kind of very formalistic way. We'll give instructions you know, when we start. In a very open and gentle and expansive way, just to settle in to this field of metta, to this field of friendliness towards oneself, towards everyone here, towards the world. And I think it will provide a very powerful and supportive foundation for the whole rest of the practice. Now for those of you who hate metta, <laughs> and different ones of us at different times go through that, <laughs> I hate metta. <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> if it feels like, you know, it's just not right for you, so you can always come back to the breath. You come back to the breath at the heart center. You know? So this is, this is a very, going to be a very gentle uh, entree. We'll also be doing one night a week a guided meditation from the Brahma Viharas and over the three months we'll go through the metta and compassion and joy and equanimity. Uh, I think mostly in part one we're mostly going through the metta uh, sequence. So out of the silence, out of the awareness out of the patience, the interest, the feelings of friendliness, 
we come to deeper and deeper levels of understanding ourselves. And I think you'll find over the course of the retreat, even though it's not always obvious, but as you go through the retreat and come out the other side, that there is a tremendous growth in the feelings of care and compassion for the world. It happens naturally. And even as we proceed just one moment at a time, one step at a time, one breath at a time, it's helpful to hold all of the path in the context of larger possibility. You know, whether we call it enlightenment or awakening or freedom or happiness, our path is part of a larger process with a very noble goal. It's the purification, the purification of our hearts and minds. And we can undertake it all, all the efforts that we make, with the aspiration that our work and our practice is not for ourselves alone. We can undertake the practice with the aspiration that it be for the welfare and benefit of all beings. So that's the framework with which we begin the retreat. On the next couple of days, tomorrow and Sunday, are what we call orientation days. In the first years of the three-month retreat, we didn't have orientation days. People came first night, went into silence, It didn't work that well. You know, we found it was just too abrupt to enter into a long retreat so suddenly and so slowly it became obvious that to have a couple of days where you can take the time first just to finish up whatever business you have. So really pay attention to that. If there's things that are outstanding, letters that you need to write, phone calls that you need to make, really try to do it as fully and completely as possible in the next two days, so that on Sunday night, when we enter into the silence, you're really there. So that's one of the the purposes of having these couple of days. It's helpful, I think, just to have a few days to get to know one another, you know, and to make those connections, to help out, you know, in the work, in the work periods, to help create the physical space of cleanliness, of beauty, you know, to participate in the establishment of that. The Buddha talked of how the physical environment, the clean and beautiful physical environment, is one of the conditions for the factors of enlightenment, you know, particularly the investigation factors. So just by helping together to create the space, we're, we're like we're creating the setting you know, for this precious jewel of the Dhamma. On Sunday morning, at the, the end of the 8.15 sitting, we're going to do a very quick go-around. You know, we're 
you'll just have the opportunity to say your name and where you're from. And we thought, if you like, this is kind of an invitation to you. Uh, at that at that time, if you like, just to articulate for yourself and for others your basic intention for the retreat. And so, if you want to give a little reflection to it, now what was your intention in coming here? What is your aspiration for the retreat? And if you'd like to share that, fine, and if not, that's okay too. I think it would be helpful to reflect on it, at least for yourself. That's it. Do you have any questions? We could take just a few minutes, you know, just in coming here and settling in. I know there's there is a big transition coming from your lives and and dropping into the world of IMS. Um, Sunday night. We're we're going to introduce everybody on Sunday. There's going to be a formal, when we take the refuges and precepts, then all the teachers will be here. So so they remain the mystery people until then. (laughs) Okay, maybe just one crucial reminder even though we don't formally take the precepts until Sunday night, consider them taken. (laughs) 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 That this whole place abides, you know, in the following of the five precepts. So please respect and honor them, even from tonight. Thank you. We'll be seeing you. (laughs) 